And this is God's Word for us this morning. Acts chapter 16. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Skipping down to verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Let's pray together and ask God to help us understand his word this morning. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that you would use these words that you, through your Holy Spirit, penned through Luke here in Acts 16, to show us how it is that you are opening our hearts, to show us how the gospel is unstoppable and that you are building your church, and that everything is moving toward Jesus. So Holy Spirit, we pray this morning that you would, you would open our hearts to hear your word and to take that in, to strive to live by that. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. The book of Acts, in so many ways, shows us how the unity of the gospel, gospel unity, naturally leads to planting churches, to starting churches in local 
places. For those of you that know me and know my wife, uh, Carrie, you know that church planning is something that is a part of our personal story. Uh, many of you know that I spent time living in Nepal and working in church planning. You also know, many of you, that, that Carrie and I, uh, before we came here, immediately before we came here, we were a part of a church plant. Church planning is something that has been a part of our lives and something that we are uh, passionate about. In Acts 16, over the course of my time that I've been here with you guys so far, has become just one of the most fascinating passages to me. Incredibly fascinating to read these stories of what happens in this city in Philippi. And what I want us to take away from Acts 16 this morning, so this is your big main point here, is that the gospel is unstoppable. The gospel is unstoppable. And we're going to see that this morning through these three conversion stories that we have, and then through gospel unity. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, these three conversion stories, and then how they show us gospel unity. Let's dig into Philippi a little bit here, get a little bit of background on Philippi. We're told in the text that Philippi is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and is a Roman colony. Uh, so Philippi is a, is a big city. There are a lot of people who live there. It's a leading city in this regard. One, it's a leading city in, in medicine and in healthcare. There is a medical school that is there. It's also a leading city in finance too. There were gold mines that surrounded Philippi, and so it became a place that was leading in finance. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they are called by God to leave where they're at and to go to this city and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they set sail from Troas, and then they go onto the sea, and then they land on the shores of Philippi. And that brings us to this first conversion story that we have here. And as we go through each of these conversion stories, I want us to think about something together. I want us to think about how it is that Jesus is opening the hearts of each of these individuals. And so we come to this first conversion story. It's a businesswoman, a successful businesswoman by the name of Lydia. We're told that Lydia is a seller of purple goods. Uh, purple goods in the, in the Roman Empire in the first century uh, would, have, uh, would have been a sign of affluence. So people who were in the upper class, their, their clothing and their robes and things that they wore would have been dyed in purple. It was very expensive. It was difficult to get, uh, to get a hold of to dye these materials in purple. And so we know that Lydia had to be someone who had the capital to be able to even do that. And so she's a successful businesswoman. Um, she is day to day walking side by side with the upper class that are there in Philippi. So that's one thing that we know about her. We also know from the text that she was a worshiper of God. She was a worshiper of God. Lydia was from a place called Thyatira, which would have actually been in Asia, and yet she's a worshiper of God, which means that she was someone who had embraced the God of Israel. And so she would have gone week in and week out to the temple to worship with God's people. She would have been someone who would have been learning the Old Testament, would have been learning uh, the scriptures. And Paul comes and he starts connecting dots for Lydia. So how is it that Jesus opens Lydia's heart? First, we see that God 
actually opened her heart. That's the language that is used here. And God uses Paul to preach the gospel to her. And we're told that she pays attention to what it is that Paul is saying. And that language there of paid attention communicates to us that what Paul was saying was compelling to her. It was, it was beautiful to her. And so Paul is telling her about Jesus and connecting these dots from the Old Testament. So you got to imagine that Lydia is connecting these dots in her own life, seeing that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament is talking about. And so she believes. She believes, and she and her household are baptized. God opens her heart, Jesus opens her heart, by giving her a clearer and a deeper understanding of the things that she was already learning. And so she believes, she and her household are baptized, and then she goes to Paul, and she goes to the crew that's there with him, and says, come stay at my house. Come and stay with me. And she prevailed upon them. And then... Luke jumps right to the second conversion story. You know, that's kind of a non sequitur there. He just jumps right into it. The second conversion story that we see of this young woman who is a slave girl. Uh, we're told that she actually was following Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy outside of the city of Philippi to where they went and actually connected with Lydia and the women that were praying at the river. And she was, she was following them. And we're also told that she had a spirit of divination, that she was constricted by this spirit, and that she was actually owned by men. So she was a slave who was owned by men, and what they were doing is they were using this spirit of divination that had somehow given her the ability to tell fortunes, and they were using her for their own financial benefit. That's what they we're doing. This is, this is what we know about this young slave girl. And she's following Paul and his crew around, and she starts shouting uh, at them and to anyone who would be in hearing distance that these men are servants of the Most High God, and that they are actually preaching the way of salvation. Luke tells us that she actually does this for days. So she follows them around for days, shouting this over and over and over. And then we see Paul, Luke says, was greatly annoyed. Like you can imagine, right? Like you're in a crowd with your friends, you're walking around, and there's someone who's behind you shouting at you all the time. And Paul is greatly annoyed. So much so to the point that he turns around, and you can kind of imagine this, like he's been walking, she's shouting, he turns around, he looks right at her, and he shouts back. He's like, I'm done with this, I'm fed up. And so he shouts back, and he shouts out that the Spirit would come out of her in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're told that that very hour, the Spirit did come out of her. So how was it that Jesus was opening the heart of this young slave girl? Well, in order to get there, we've got to dig into the spirit of divination a little bit. The word divination there is actually, the, the literal translation of that is python. I know that seems kind of like out of nowhere, right? 
But that actually connects us with Greek mythology and a Greek myth that was common uh, in that day and, and time. And we could go there and we could spend an afternoon talking about that. But what I want us to do is I want us to consider for a moment what this word picture, this word image is telling us about what this young slave girl's life was like. She had a spirit of a python in her communicating to us that her life was constrained deeper than that suffocating that that it was squeezing the life out of her and not only this spirit of divination but also think about the fact that she is a slave she is owned by these men and they are using her, dehumanizing her, treating her inhuman to line their own pockets so that they could make money off of her. This this young woman had a terrible, horrible existence. And Jesus opens her heart to see She's not inhuman. She's someone who bears God's image in his world. That she has infinite worth and dignity because she is made in the image of her creator. That she has a creator who made her and who loves her and who loves her so much that he would send his one and only son to die for her and to give her life and to help her see, to give her the open heart and the open eyes to see that she is someone who matters and someone who bears God's image in his world. And so Jesus opens up her heart, releases this spirit that is suffocating her and replaces it with the Holy Spirit so that she would see that she has life in Jesus She's not bound by this spirit and she's not bound by these men who own her. And as you can imagine, her owners, they're pretty miffed. They're kind of upset. They're upset at Paul. They're upset at Silas, Timothy, and Luke because they've taken away their cash cow. (laughs) And so they decide, we got to get these guys off the streets we got to get them away from, uh, away from here. And so they start, they start trying to drum up a crowd to get Paul and Silas arrested. And ultimately, they do get them arrested. And not only that, they're beaten severely as well too. And that leads us right to our third conversion story that we have of this Roman jailer. You could basically think of as a police officer. So Paul and Silas, they get arrested. They're put inside of this Roman prison. We're told that while they are in this Roman prison, that they start singing songs and hymns, which means that they were singing the gospel to one another. And we're also told that there are, there are more that are there that are listening to them. And as they are singing these songs and singing these hymns uh, together, God sends an earthquake and this earthquake, it shakes the prison so severely that their, their chains and their shackles are undone. Literally says they're unfastened from them. So they're not in chains 
anymore. And so you can imagine that an earthquake that big would have, you know, would have shaken things up. And so this Roman jailer who, being the jailer, would have lived right there at the jail, he is awakened from his sleep. And he goes down to the prison to see what has happened. And when he gets down there, he realizes that the doors are open. And he rightly and appropriately makes the judgment that all of his prisoners are gone. And for a Roman soldier who was a prison guard, your sole responsibility was to make sure that none of your prisoners escaped. That was it. Like, that was the one thing, that was the one job he had to do, right? That was his sole responsibility. And if he didn't do that job, what he knew is that that was a death sentence. And so when he comes down there and he sees that door open, he assumes appropriately that the prisoners are gone, and that means he's going to be executed by his government. And so instead, he decides, I'm just going to do it myself. I'm going to take my own life. I'm going to commit suicide. And just before he's about to do that, Paul cries out. We're told he cries out with a loud voice. And Paul basically says, don't do it. Don't do it. We're all here. None of us have left. And so this Roman jailer has to be like stunned by this. And so he goes and he gets lights and he goes into the prison cells and he checks and he realizes no one's left. No one has left. And so he goes to Paul and he goes to Silas and he literally gets down on the ground and he asks them, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And Paul preaches the gospel to him. And he's so compelled by it that he goes and he gets his family. He says, y'all got to hear this too. And so Paul preaches the gospel to his whole family. And he believes and he and his family are baptized. And then he takes Paul and he takes Silas back to his house, which again would have been right there at the jail. And he cleans their wounds and he feeds them. And then they celebrate together what it is that God has done in his life. And so how is it that Jesus was opening the heart of this Roman jailer? You see, Roman jailers in the Roman Empire were retired Roman soldiers. And so this man would have been a retired Roman soldier, which means his entire adult life was spent on a battlefield. Which means that his entire adult life, what he was seeing is that what life is about is making sure that you can get power and maintain it and use it so that you can make sure that you don't lose power. That's what life was about for him. Repaying evil with evil, blow for blow. It was about making sure that you took care of number one and self-interest. And so how does Jesus open this man's heart? He opens this man's heart by, by, by allowing him and opening up to reimagining what life is all about. That life is not about getting power and maintaining it and using it to make sure that you still have it. That it's not repaying evil with evil and blow for blow, but life is actually about laying your life down for others. 
And that's exactly what Jesus has done for him. And that's exactly what Paul is communicating to this Roman jailer. That there is someone who had all of the power in the world and he gave it up so that he could have you. So that you would belong in his family. And certainly the situation itself shows us how Jesus is opening his heart in that way as well too. Because you see, you got Paul here. He didn't do anything wrong. He gets arrested. He has an opportunity with the earthquake to leave and to get out of Dodge. And he doesn't. Why not? See, Paul knew that if he left that prison, that it was a death sentence for that man. So Paul stayed convinced everybody else to stay because he didn't want that man to die. He was willing to give up his rights and his opportunities so that that man would have an opportunity to hear about Jesus and life that he had in Jesus. And Jesus opened this man's heart to reimagine life in a totally new way. And then they celebrate that together. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. In these three conversion stories, they show us something about gospel unity. And so let's think about gospel unity together for a little bit. And these three conversion stories, and let's connect these things together. The first thing that we see about gospel unity in Acts chapter 16 is that the gospel crosses all barriers. The gospel crosses all barriers. Barriers of gender, barriers of class, and barriers of race. That the gospel is for everyone. Let's think about our three people that we've been talking about. Lydia is someone who's a successful businesswoman. She walked day to day with the upper class. The slave girl couldn't be the more opposite of Lydia, right? Like she's someone who's been utterly dehumanized by her owners. She doesn't even see herself as a human. She actually is controlled and suffocated by the spirit of divination. She is the poorest of the poor. And then let's think about the Roman jailer. In so many ways, we can think about the Roman jailer as kind of like he's middle class blue collar. And gospel unity crosses all of those barriers. Crosses barriers of gender. Crosses barriers of class. Barriers of race. You've got some, a woman from Asia. You've got a guy who's a Roman jailer. It crosses all those that the gospel is for everyone. For everyone. What else does gospel unity show us? Does gospel unity also shows us how Jesus was opening these people's and our hearts to see ourselves the way that we are. Jesus was opening their hearts. Think about Lydia for just a second. What Jesus was doing in her, in her life and opening her heart was giving her a clearer and deeper understanding of the things that she was already learning. For the slave girl, Jesus opened her heart by literally taking a spirit, a python spirit away from her, replacing it with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was opening her heart by giving her the eyes to see that she's someone who bears God's image in his world. That she is enslaved to no one. And then the Roman jailer, Jesus was opening his heart to see that, you know, 
I really think that life is about self and making sure that I get power and I maintain it and I use it to make sure that I stay in power. And Jesus was opening his heart to say, no, uh-uh. I have all the power in the world, but I've laid it down so that you would have life and you would have it everlasting and abundantly. Jesus does these things for us too, doesn't he? We think about Lydia in a clearer and deeper understanding. We've been talking the whole year about that the, the, the whole Bible tells us a four-part story of creation, rebellion, redemption, and restoration. And we, Dave and I, both have expressed to you some of our own experience growing up in the church with just a two-part story of rebellion and redemption. God has been over these last number of years giving me more clarity and deeper understanding about the one story that his word is showing us. And that that means something for our lives. Think about the slave girl. Oftentimes, doesn't Jesus open our hearts in that way as well too? Now, maybe none of us have actually had a spirit of divination about us. But let me tell you, I would be willing to bet that everybody in here knows exactly what it's like to be used, to be manipulated for the benefit of others, to be dehumanized. And Jesus opens our hearts to see we bear God's image in his world. We matter that God loves us and he loves us so much that he would give us Jesus. And the Roman jailer, I don't know about you, but God has certainly worked in my life. Jesus has certainly opened my heart to reimagine what life is about. I am so tempted to think that life is ultimately about making sure that I protect self above anything else. And the gospel comes in and says, no, that is not what life is about. That Jesus laid down his life for you so that you would be a people, you would be a person striving to love the one who gave himself for you, to love God, to love people, to lay down your life for others, and to love the place where God has put you. You see, Jesus does the same thing with us. Like he opens our own hearts to see ourselves as we are just as he did for Lydia, the slave girl, and the Roman jailer. Well, gospel unity also does something else. Gospel unity, it crosses all barriers. Jesus opens our hearts to see ourselves. Jesus also opens our hearts to see others too. Think again about these three people. Lydia, the slave girl, and the jailer, there is absolutely no reason in their lives why they should ever cross paths with one another. None whatsoever. You've got an affluent businesswoman, the poorest of the poor, and the middle class. But Jesus opens each of their eyes to see others differently to bring these people together so that they are no longer strangers from one another who would never cross paths, but rather they are brothers and sisters in his name. They belong to the same family. It's amazing. It's amazing to think about how Jesus opens our hearts to see others. 
And ultimately, this successful businesswoman, this slave girl, and this jailer, they are the core group that plants the church at Philippi. You know, Jesus opens our hearts to see others too. Dave talked about this last week as he was talking about what was going on with Peter and Cornelius. And he pushed on us some in really good ways. And we need to, be, we need to consider these things more and more. How do we see others? Are you pursuing and building relationships with people that make more money than you do? How about people that make less money than you do? Are we pursuing and building relationships with people who don't look like us? Are we pursuing and building relationships with people that we otherwise would never really cross paths with? Are we being thoughtful about that? Are we asking God to to open our hearts to see others the way that he does as, as those who bear his image in his world? To start where he starts, not to start at rebellion. Not to start in such a way that we'll ultimately think of ourselves as better than others, but rather to see that the playing field is absolutely leveled in Jesus. And that he is opening our hearts to see others the way that he does. Let's see if we can kind of cinch all of these things together. That gospel unity is crossing barriers. Jesus is opening our hearts to see ourselves and to see others. And let's do that through another character in this story, the Apostle Paul. You see, because the Apostle Paul is not removed from all these things either, is he? He is learning and he is growing as well too. If you'll notice, Acts 16 doesn't exactly make very much of Paul. When he encounters Lydia, we don't really get like exactly what it was that Paul said. What we get is that God opened her heart. What about Paul's ability, his oratory skills or anything like that? It was about God opening her heart. Paul's having to learn these things. He was growing in these things as well too. Certainly, God was growing him with his encounter with the slave girl. Because Paul didn't exactly treat the slave girl as someone who bore God's image in his world, did he? As a matter of fact, he was incredibly annoyed by her. And he was just looking for a way to get her out of his life. And Jesus was opening his heart to see her differently. And Jesus was actually working because we are told that God is the one who released that spirit from her. Jesus is the one who released her from the constricting, suffocating spirit of divination and the constricting, suffocating spirit under which her owners had her. God is opening Paul's heart as well too. He was growing. He was learning these same things. And maybe, just maybe, maybe those experiences are what led to the experience that he had in the Roman jail where we see Paul being faithful. Where we see Paul willing to lay down his opportunity his power, his rights, so that another may live. 
And therefore, living out what Jesus had done for Paul and what Jesus had done for this jailer. Don't you see? Paul's learning the exact same things that, these, that, that Lydia and the slave girl and the jailer are learning, the same things that we are learning. And to put a fine point on this, to put a fine point on this, there is a very popular and widespread Jewish prayer in the first century. And it was a, particular, it was a prayer that, that men particularly prayed. And it was a prayer that men would have prayed the first thing when they got up in the morning. And remember Paul, incredibly committed Jew, right? Very committed. So he would have had to have known what this prayer was. And I dare say he would have said it himself. But here's how the prayer basically goes. Jewish men would wake up in the morning and they would say, God, I thank you that I'm not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Paul would have prayed that prayer. Who's the core group that makes up the church at Philippi? A woman, a slave, and they're all Gentiles. Don't you see? Don't you see what Acts 16 is showing us? Jesus is unstoppable. That Jesus crosses all barriers. That Jesus is opening our hearts to see ourselves. That Jesus is opening our hearts to see others. That Jesus is growing us. He is changing us. He is making us the kinds of people who want to strive to live, to love God, to love people, and to love the place where he has put us. Jesus is absolutely growing us in this way. Acts 16 is all about how Jesus is unstoppable. And that leads us to the last thing that I want us to see about this gospel unity. That this gospel unity opens our hearts to God's mission. The gospel unity opens our hearts to God's mission. Does that individually? In so many ways, everything that we've just talked about is how God opens our hearts to his mission individually. And seeing how we see ourselves and how we see others and how we see that the gospel is for everyone. But there is also, there is also a collective sense that is here too. That Jesus is opening our hearts to God's mission in a collective sense. And what that translates into is that there are churches that are planted. That is exactly what we see happen here in Philippi. A local church gets planted in Philippi. That the unity of the gospel brings these people together to start and to plant a church there in Philippi. If we move 10 years down the road from what we see here in Acts 16, what we will see is a church in Philippi that has elders, has deacons, that they are doing mercy ministry and caring for the poor and the marginalized in Philippi, that they are striving to love God, to love people, and to love the place where God has put them. We'll also see that there's even disagreements in the church in Philippi. If you go to the end of Paul's letter to, to the Philippians, he talks about people in the church that are disagreeing. And what that is, even in those disagreements, 
is more opportunities for Jesus to open the hearts of his people to see that he is unifying us in his blood. That is exactly what Paul is encouraging these people to at the end of his letter to the Philippians. So Jesus is even working in our disagreements to open our hearts to see how beautiful and believable he is. And Jesus was, Jesus was opening the hearts of the church at Philippi to, to God's mission, so much so that they wanted to see other churches planted in other cities, like Ephesus, like Galatia, like Thessalonica. So much so to the point that they would financially support Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke to go to these cities to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ so that churches would get planted. So that churches like the church in Philippi striving to love God, love people, and love their place would get planted in Ephesus and Galatia and Thessalonica. And they literally committed their finances to seeing that happen. They wanted to see more people come to know Jesus and who he is. Jesus was opening their hearts to see that God's mission, yes, it applies individually, but there's a collective sense to it as well, too. That God's mission is about building his church because he's always had a people and about planting churches. And that's true for us, too. This is why over the last number of years, you have heard us say over and over that we want to see churches planted east of I-95, where we live. That we want to see a new presbytery, that God would work in such a way that he would plant churches and grow people in the gospel in eastern North Carolina that we would have to have a new presbytery. This is why you have heard us over the last number of years say that we want to be downtown because we know there are people down there who we want to see encounter the gospel in the way that we have. This is why you hear us say all of these things because we want to be committed to God's mission and Jesus is opening our hearts to be committed to that to be committed to his mission, to church planning, to seeing people come to know Jesus and who he is. Now I'm going to say something that that in so many ways seems really, really obvious. But I think that this is something that we really, really have to come to grips with. The church has always struggled to stay committed to God's mission. The church has always struggled to stay committed to God's mission and planting churches. That's true of the church historically. That's true of the church in the United States of America in 2020. In so many ways, the church gets distracted and instead of being about God's mission, we try to get and to gain and to maintain cultural and political power. And that becomes the thing that we are about as a church. Look, Israel struggled with this. You read the Old Testament, you can't get away from it. They were distracted from being God-centered and realizing they had a God of grace who loved them and was giving himself for them and instead sought cultural and political power. 
and we are not immune to that either. That's absolutely true in the United States. In so many ways, the church has traded God's mission so that we could somehow get cultural and political power. You have to forgive me. I've got some notes here, and this is something that I think is really, really important. And so you might find me focusing a little bit on my notes right here. But what's also true is that that hasn't actually happened, has it? It hasn't. Trying to get cultural and political power, and yet we keep trying over and over and over again. And all the while, we're blind to the fact that we have abandoned God's mission. That, 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 that we have not planted churches in the way that God wants us to. We've gotten away from the mission of God. If you read the book of Acts, you look, you don't see the church in the first century trying to figure out a way to get the Apostle Paul elected to political office. That's not happening. Why? Because they want to see churches planted. They want to see other people come to embrace the same gospel that they are embracing as well, too. In so many ways, we've traded a worldwide mission of God for a small and narrow mission of using Jesus to try and get and maintain cultural and political power. Instead of proclaiming God's message and His mission, We've actually let the culture tell us what it is that we are supposed to care about and be about and define what it is that the church is supposed to be doing. We have to come to grips with this. In so many ways, we've turned the gospel into a cause of trying to get power instead of good news to be proclaimed that Jesus has come, that He has come to a lost and hurt and broken and dying and sinful world to bring life. If you even think about this, think about how much money is poured into political campaigns. What if instead of Christians pouring their money into political campaigns, we gave it to our local churches? so that we could plant churches, so that we could see other people, people not like us, come to know and embrace Jesus and have life, and have life in Him abundantly. But I also want us to be encouraged too. Be encouraged. God is absolutely committed to His church. That Jesus is absolutely committed to opening our hearts to see him and to see others and to be a part of his mission of what he is doing. Be encouraged. You are a part of a presbytery that wants to see other churches planted and see other people come to know Jesus. You should be encouraged. Be encouraged. We are wanting to move toward others as well too. God is absolutely committed to his church. And Jesus is opening our hearts, opening our hearts to line up with God's mission. His mission is His church, and it is to work through His church to bring other people to know Jesus, to plant churches, churches that would strive to love God, to love people, to love the place where God has put us. You've heard us say this a number of times. 
God does not so much have a mission for his people as he has a people for his mission. Beloved, Acts 16 is showing us all about how Jesus, the gospel, is unstoppable. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would work it deeper and deeper uh, into our hearts. Uh, to want to line up our lives individually with what it is that you're doing, but to want to, to line us up collectively as a church with what it is that you are doing and wanting to see Jesus come to bear on a hurt and a broken, sinful world and find life in him. And Jesus, you've given yourself for us. You laid down everything so that we would have life in you. Holy Spirit, we know that apart from you, we wouldn't believe any of this. And so we ask that you would continue to work it deeper and deeper into our hearts to see that Christ is opening our hearts to him, to others, and to the place where you've put us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.